Okay, we are in Hebrews chapter 5. We're starting at verse 11, and I'm reading from the uh, ESV. Okay. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you against the, again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those, have, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, but of instruction about washing, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits, for it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened to have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls, falls on it and produces a crop useful to those who, for whose sake it is cultivated receive a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and, it, and its end is to be burned. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of the better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness and have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises." For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater to whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abram, Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that, the, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, he who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Go ahead and grab a seat, you guys. And again, uh, welcome to Redstone Church. My name is Spencer, and uh, it is just a privilege to be up here. And, um, and when I say up here, um, I know that there are people who will say amen because they can finally see a guy who is five foot four in stature Amen. All right, so my mother-in-law, um, bless her heart, love her dearly, um, she's like, Spencer, you know, um, the only time I see you when you preach is when you actually step 
often do communion. That's, I've only seen you preach like you know, three times in my life, that, that kind of thing. So we are in the gym, and we are on a three-foot stage, and this is brand new for everyone. And we understand that change sometimes can be hard and difficult and those kinds of things. But this is where the Lord has brought us, and we are thrilled about it. I mean, this is technically our third space as a young church plant to gather uh, some of you are in the room at Trinity Arts, right? That was amazing. Uh, technically, if you want to go all the way back to LP Hour, uh, that was amazing. Remember the big fan? Who, raise your hand if you remember the fan. Okay, so we, we, we won't call everybody out this morning. That's not what this is, this is for. But, um, so anyway, we've been on a journey, and uh, the cafeteria really did. It became uh, just confining and maybe a little bit claustrophobic uh, with even people not being able to um, just just move move around very uh, easily and those kinds of things. So this will be a little bit of an adjustment, but man, give us six months and it'll feel like home and it really, really will be great. It's equally as good for Camp Redstone right now. And so back there, uh, you should go see it. It really is wonderful. So the cafeteria, as, even though we called it home for so long, it is, it is a beautiful space. And so the kids are going to be safer and it's going to be bright and loud and they can just, they can play games. And it just, it's a really, really, really good space uh, for the kids. Kids. Um, and then uh, last but not least is that we are able to actually have a little elbow room. And so we would encourage you guys to invite your friends and your family, those people who are far from community or far from Jesus, either way. All right. So if, if people are lacking community or, or, or without Jesus, you know, we want you to invite them in the space. Uh, we are not about uh, addition. All right, so just to calm your fears, it is not our, uh, our goal is just to continue to grow and grow bigger and bigger. Uh, we love to grow by multiplication. And so that's why we multiply leaders and we multiply community groups and hopefully we'll plant churches. And so we hope that we're always kind of char- chopping off a right arm and a leg and, and sending out other people. So really just if y'all have these fears of just continue for growth, for growth's sake, we'll take it. You know, praise God for that, and we will take the growth, but it really is not, um, uh, it's not our, our aim. It's just to grow for growth's sake. We want to grow, but we want to grow with depth, and we want to grow with maturity, okay? Um, it took a lot of people to do a lot of things, and so yesterday, uh, for about four hours, there was a team of people that showed up and gave their Saturday to just kind of make this happen, so it's always a good, anytime you start something new, to go ahead and re-up. This is the, this is the body of Christ, and we all kind it's good to pitch in every once in a while and, and do some things. So if you found yourself maybe not volunteering like you have in the past, just know that there are plenty of needs both in this space and in Camp Redstone for you to plug in. It really is a good, it's good to be with, with God's people on, on a Sunday morning. Okay, enough with that. Let's jump in. If you were listening to Perseverance as she read, um, I was thinking to myself, how are we going to preach that in a little over 30 minutes? Um, I don't know if we're going to be able to do it, but we're going to try. Okay, this is a, just is a big, big, big passage. And this passage is, is more than just big. It is super cumbersome and it is, it's gnarly. And it's one of those passages that if you are not of keen of ear, right, if you are just not awake, it's, it's going to overwhelm whelm us all. Mainly because the writer of Hebrews is coming with three very distinct warnings. All right. There are three warnings in this passage. Some are for us and some are not for us, but the warnings are warnings nonetheless. And we need to sit up in our chairs and we probably need to listen because if the writer is, is talking to the people of God, 
and so therefore God, all scripture is breathed out for all of us, for all of our benefits, then we need to take these sober warnings and really take them to heart because they really are, are strong. He comes out of the gate in verse 11 and he says, you are, all right, and he's looking at you, all right, and he's looking at a crowd just like this. He says, you are dull of hearing, meaning you have turned off your ears. You have stopped listening. People have come in front of you and tried to teach. People have opened their Bibles and you have stopped listening. And he's talking to a bunch of church folks just like you and I. You may be in here and you may have turned off your ears. You've maybe stopped listening or stopped learning. There are some complex things in this passage. And so there's some things, some teaching notes in which are really hard and again, cumbersome that you might need to like really pull out a pen and paper or Bible and circle or your iPad and just really take good notes. So I would encourage us not to be a type of people that would be dull of hearing this morning, but truly like listen to what God has to tell us this, this morning. And so he was telling us, I mean, right out of the gate in verse 11, he said, and this uh, and this, we have much to say. And he is prefacing all of chapter 5. We have had so much to say about Jesus and how he is superior to all things. And it is hard to explain this since you have become dull of hearing. Yeah. So that's he comes out of the gate going, hey, by the way, you need to wake up. You need to turn on your ears, all right? As my kids would hear me say, turn on your listening ears, children. Right, like turn them on because we have lots to say. When you are in a space like this, it's imperative that you show up, right, ready to listen. And you're not listening to a messenger, right? You're really, you're here listening to the message. You're really here to just die, dive into this scripture and really see what it has to say. Because God has a ton of things to say. But to do that, you have to prep your heart, Right? Um, it takes a ton of time to put words. I mean, there's billions of words. And to put, pick out a few of those to put on some notes to give to you. It takes a lot of work to actually get up here, right? I want What the challenge here is not necessarily for the teacher per se, but actually the listener. I wonder if you have been adept at your listening skills, particularly on Sunday mornings. Particularly coming into this space ready to listen. Not from a little guy in a blue shirt, right? But the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the one who wrote these words for us. Literally waking up knowing that today is a little bit different. Today we are with God's people. Psalm 111 says, I have a heart to go and praise the Lord, but my heart also is glad to go and be part of the congregation. It takes a lot of work to get up here with these words. I would put it back on you. I wonder if you are putting in the time and the energy and the effort and the prayer to be a good listener. I told you it was going to be heavy. Huh? And I'm just warming up. I mean, that's just, that's mild. I mean, that is, that's mild. But just know, we're coming heavy this morning. If you're a visitor, hey, welcome to Redstone. That's the last mile you'll get. Um, probably not, but it's, it's one of those mornings. All right, so we are just, we to have listening ears because he goes stronger, all right? Turn on your ears, all right? It says, for those, for, for though by this time you ought to be teachers and you need someone to teach you the basic principles of the oracles of God. By now, you have had a conversion, 
right? And there's been some time that has elapsed. And by now, you should be teachers. How many of you would consider yourself a teacher of God's word? For you to do some quick math, I'm coming heavy. For you to do some quick math, when was my conversion? When did I come to Jesus? Do a little math as far as your your age and do a little subtraction. And just ask yourself, should this be me now? Because that's what he's saying. You should be teachers by now. But instead, you still need to be be taught the elementary things of, of, of God. He's basically saying the ABCs here. Like these are the ABCs of Christianity. Are you able, do you have a grasp of these basic things to give that to other people? If the dullness of hearing was not strong for you to like just evoke you and poke you to say, are you teachers by now? And for you to wrestle with that in your heart, it gets worse. It gets worse. The basic principles of the oracles of God, you need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. He's really poking the bear here. And he says it's not just dullness of hearing that's your problem. It's not just that you should be teachers by now. Right? He's literally leaning in and saying it's because you've never grown up. You're still spiritually immature. For my kids, all right, they just they want to get out of the baby stage, right? Even now, Augustine, as uh, he's the baby, uh, he, when we get out of the car, he says he's still in his car seat and he can't unbuckle it himself. He says, don't forget the baby. <laughs> Mainly because we've forgotten him twice, all right? So, um, but he's like, don't forget the baby. So we unbuckle him and that's kind of like, that's when you know there's a line. You cross the line. When Augustine can buckle and unbuckle himself, He's not a baby anymore, right? And we all are like that. I mean, we want to grow up like, okay, you're going to pee-pee in the potty and be a big boy, right? Put a little Cheerio in there and make it sink it. I mean, you just, you just, you hit it all day long. It's like, this is amazing, right? Because you're becoming a big boy. You don't want to sleep in that little old crib anymore. You want to sleep in a big boy bed, right? You want to, all right, so this is what we all naturally want. And this is what he's saying. For some reason... The Cheerio in the toilet or the bassinet or the car seat, we're still strapped up. And he's provoking us to think about where we are in our lineage and are we progressing and moving forward. Again, he's not calling us to be preachers. He's calling us all to be teachers. He's not calling us to like stand on stages or whatever, but literally to get on your knee and talk to your kids about, about your, your faith journey and what it means to live with Jesus or living a life with Jesus. Or to have a backyard Bible club with your neighborhood and just invite, inviting kids and just talk through little things. Or potentially picking up a book right, and inviting some guys. This is what this exercise is about, is to actually investing in other people. At, at Redstone, we have our mission statement is disciples making disciples. We look at the Great Commission and it simply says it is not our job simply to become a disciple. It goes farther than that. It's actually to become a disciple maker. To actually multiply and reproduce and actually give something out of our heart into something, into someone else's life. And this is what is happening. Are we progressing? Kennedy turned 14 this week. It's just, you just start to see it. She's starting to grow up. 
On her birthday, Jerry Williams was um, not very nice. And he kept saying, he says, you know, today's her birthday, but do you know what tomorrow is? And he'd lean in and I'd say, I don't know, Jerry, what's tomorrow? And he said that tomorrow is the first day of her 15th year. Meaning that this time next year, she'll be driving, right? So this is what is happening. Like, okay, this is the first day of your whatever year. It's natural for you to get out of a big little, you know, a bed. Or it's natural to want to drive. It's natural to want to go off to college and to find a degree. It's natural to get married or maybe have a few kids, maybe not. It's natural to want to move on in maturity in your job. And you just see these steps. And yet spiritually, we're just stuck This is so much of our modern church is that you have depended way too long on people like me. The Hebrews, or the the passage here says, don't depend on people like me. Depend on each other. Let the congregation be teachers. Maybe not gifted in preaching or oracle or those types of things, but simply walk alongside others as Jesus did and point out flowers and their beauty and the clouds and how they dissipate and the stars in the sky and John three sixteen and just walk alongside with little things by little things. It is the most grotesque of all of the word pictures that we'll see today and we'll see three is that we're literally seeing a grown man nursing. That's disturbing right no one wants to see that in the mall right no one no matter how big like the the hood is like that ain't that ain't right I mean that that ain't right right you giggle right and then ask am I the grown-up in the mall right that's what he's saying that so many of us are just like this he goes on to say That therefore you are to, this is six, verse one, therefore you are to leave the elementary doctrines of Christ and go on to maturity. Does that mean that we are to leave God and leave Jesus all alone? No, it's just that Jesus is the foundation and we're continuing to build on the foundation. But he says that you need to leave these elementary things. And he goes on in verses one and two and three to tell us exactly what those elementary things are. He says, these are the things that you need to have in your back pocket. Right? This, is, this is what you need to have in your back pocket. Number one is that um, uh, not laying again the foundation of repentance from, from dead works and of faith in God. So there's your first one. To repent right, of dead works and to move on toward faith in Jesus. That's your first kind of foundation. So this is Christianity 101. Thank you so much. The writer of Hebrews is repentance and faith in Jesus is our number one step. Number two, this is interesting, but number two, he goes on. He says, the second elementary thing that we need to move on is uh, this instruction of washings and laying on of hands. So that's the second foundation. The third goes on, uh, it says the laying down of hands, but also the resurrection of the dead and the eternal judgment. So he's basically saying this is the ABCs, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K. And he's going, okay, you need to understand repentance and you need to understand faith You need to understand these washings, right? Which is a first century term for baptism, right? And the laying on of hands, which is another first century term for commissioning. And then you need to understand about the resurrection and then also judgment. So these are the six things that you need to have at your disposal. Do you understand what repentance means? And the difference between repentance 
and faith and being able to do both of those things at the same time. Did you know that John the Baptist and Jesus both enter into their earthly ministry and saying you must repent and turn toward the kingdom of God. You need to move away from yourself and actually move toward where Jesus is at. And then baptism. The second next phase is baptism. Have you on an elementary level even understand or understood what baptism is or what these washings would actually signify? Did you know that baptism is not just something for the Baptist and they dunk you and those types of things? It's more than just a ceremony, but it's actually a picture of resurrection. It's actually death to self and alive in a brand new life altogether. And so do you have that at your disposal? Or for some of you, have you been baptized at all, right? How glorious and beautiful a picture this is to actually see people go down under, right? Where they cannot breathe and where they're trusting someone else, their life and someone else's only to be brought up into new life and truly be washed, right? To be cleansed and what a beautiful picture that is. Easter morning, we're actually having a baptism service. There's already one that has uh, come and, and he's uh, talking with the elders about um, baptism. So if you've never been baptized, what a beautiful picture it is to actually be baptized on Easter morning. Actually, the old, uh, the new, uh, the, sorry, the first century church, they said uh, Easter morning is for baptism. I mean, so what a beautiful, beautiful way to do that. But then also commissioning, the laying on of hands. Do you know that there are some that need to be sent out, actually need the elders to come alongside, lay on of hands, either in sickness, all right, or in commissioning. And these, this is a great thing. Uh, Redstone is, gonna, is in the process of ordaining deacons and at some point we'll, we'll lay on hands and say commission them out to a great work. And then this idea of the afterlife, the idea of resurrection and judgment. I don't need to go into all of the details here, but I think what the, he's trying to say is, is this at your disposal? Are you able to give these types of things away? If you're squirming in your seat, that's okay, right? Trust that that is part of God's grace to you, right? Not just shame, right? If you're wiggling just a little bit, that's okay. You're here for a reason. You came here this, this morning for a reason. Maybe, maybe it was just for this, that maybe I need to move on in maturity to build on the foundation of my salvation. They are saved, they are believers, and they've just not moved forward toward maturity. In fact, they've lapsed and they've just stopped. I wonder if some in here have just lapsed or just stopped. I don't know. That's between you and Jesus. But this is the first warning and it comes out hot. And it's very pointed. And it's not just pointed to us as individuals. It really is as a culture. Are we able to teach others? When we first came, uh, the first sermon of the series, I said there was a bunch of kids, 32 and under, that need us. It was culminating in this moment. We have millennials who are just, just walking away from Jesus and walking away from the faith. Not because they don't like it, they just don't know why. Every good teacher doesn't tell you what to believe, they tell you why to believe it. Let's walk alongside this next and this younger generation. Let's walk alongside them with whys, not just what's. Not just baptism, you need to go get baptized. But why baptism is so beautiful. That will truly change our culture forever.
All right, so then it gets harder. Verse 4 and following. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance. I want you to underline a phrase, for it is impossible. That's the first clause. And then go all the way back down to verse 6. and says, have fallen away to restore, them, uh, um, to restore them again. So here's our, their clause that really makes us all antsy. Is that it is impossible to restore some. There are some people who have fallen away. And it is impossible to restore them. This is why we preach God's word. Because there's no way I would ever say anything like this. There's no way that I would ever want to preach anything like this. I'm full of hope and gladness and joy and possibility. A warning is a warning. And this writer is coming really, really heavy. And he says, for some who have fallen away, it is impossible for you to... For, to restore. In a society that is all inclusive, this is why we throw off our Bibles. These types of phrases is why we put our, close our Bibles and put them down or walk away. These are hard things to say. And as a teacher, we need to move on toward, away from just elementary things and move on toward a phrase like this. It is not by accident because he's challenging himself. He's challenging guys like me to press in toward even the harder or the thicker things of life. And so he really does come with this warning, truly the most terrifying warning in the scriptures is that there may be some that are lost at Redstone Church, we believe and we will teach, and it's in our doctrinal statement if you haven't read that, and it's in our membership packets and all these types of things. At Redstone Church, we believe in what is called, and you need to write this down. You know, I'm teaching here. All right, here we go. Write it down. Listening ears. Um, we believe in the assurance of the saints. It's a fancy word, a fancy phrase, but it basically means that if you walk into a relationship with Jesus, a true and a real relationship with Jesus, that that relationship is secure. Here are a couple of verses for you to think about. This is in Ephesians 1. That upon salvation you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. A seal that cannot be broken. That's Ephesians 1. This is an assurance that God has you fully. This is what we believe in. Secondly, we love John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave, you know, right? And he comes and gives and so that you not perish but have, right? At the end of that beautiful verse is that you would have eternal life. If you can lose your salvation, right? If you can actually depart from it, that's not a very big promise if eternity is actually defined in something you can lose here in this life. We really believe eternal is eternal. 
Thirdly, is, uh, comes from John 6. It says, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up in the last day. This is John 6. So I will not lose it. You've given it to me, and I will raise it up in the last day. This is an assurance passage. Move on to John 10. It says, my sheep he'll hear my voice. And I know them and they will follow me. I will give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. This is a security, a moment of, okay, I've got you. And then lastly, Romans 8 has this entire lineage of descriptions of who we are. And so before we were believers, it says, and for those who Uh, whom he foreknew, that was even before you were believers, he predestined, he actually brought you into new life, and it keeps going and on and on and on, and then it says, and you will also be glorified, meaning that in heaven you will be raised up with Jesus. This is our teaching that, that we believe in the assurance of salvation, that when you are saved in Jesus, if it is a true and a wonderful and a real conversion, it will last. But man, Look at verse 4. It does not seem so in verse 4. It doesn't seem. It seems actually the opposite. That there are the people that are following, falling away are people who have been enlightened. Look at verse 4. Been enlightened. Those who have tasted the heavenly gift. That sounds really religious to me. Who have shared. Okay, now we're going to not just religious. It looks really supernatural. Shared in the Holy Spirit. And tasted in the goodness of the word of God. And in powers. I mean, this is supernatural. Powers in the age to come. They seem really religious. And they seem tapped in. So who are these that have fallen away? We only have two choices here. Number one. They are either bona fide, real, like authentic Christians who can fall away. Or they are apparent Christians. Those who fall away, who are not true believers, but rather men and women who appear within a faith community, but reject it wholeheartedly at some point. Well, we believe, because we believe in the um, assurance of the saints, we believe that it cannot be bona fide Christians. Because we believe that Christians, if it's real, if it's authentic, that they will be held. So who are these that are falling away? It's these people that have all the appearance of a Christian. This word of fallen away is the word apostasy. All right, again, if you're new here, if this is your first time, I'm sorry. This is usually not how it always is, but apostasy. Or truly he is talking about someone who is apostate. That's a really big word, a word that I've never taught before. It's such a big and scary and gnarly word, but he is talking about an apostate here. An apostate is someone who is irremittable. This is a a curing or or a, a health term. This is someone who has no cure or you cannot put it back into place. This is a book, an entire book on how to continue to trust in Jesus. And this warning comes full circle in saying you have to trust in Jesus. And that is true for all of us. We must trust in Jesus. There was a room just like this 2,000 years ago. And there was a preacher that looked a little bit like this 2,000 years ago. And as he was reading this letter, and he says, 
this is a real warning, that there is a real thing called apostasy. There is a real thing called apostate. Because in this room, there are some empty seats. And in those empty seats, there are men and women that we once knew who are no longer in this room anymore. But instead, they have literally, they literally have left Rome and they've walked back to to Jerusalem with a knife in their hand and a goat or a sheep under their arm. And they've walked up to the temple and they've handed a sheep to or a goat to a high priest and said, this will do. Even though they've understood the blood of Jesus and the purity of Jesus, and even though they have understood just the, the, the beauty and the sacrifice of a true, a true life offering, a true gift, and they've walked away from Jesus with knife and sheep toward a temple, toward an old system, and he says, that will do. When you are at that place and you've literally forsaken Jesus for the sake of something else. The scriptures say that it is impossible for that person to be restored again, that they are apostate. So why in the world would he teach that to a group like this? Why would he come and send this warning to a people who are actually still in the room? Because he knows that our hearts are fickle. And he knows that our hearts are rebellious. And he knows that now, because you're in the space, is a time for you to repent and believe in Jesus and to say, no, Jesus is the way and he is the truth and he is the life and he is the only thing that can define who I am. Nothing else will ever do. We see this in Judas Iscariot. He's a true apostate who saw Jesus, who saw miracles, was able to do things with, with um, the disciples and was able to see not just healings, but miracles and, and waves stilled and all of these types of things. But we see Jesus, Judas literally turning his back on Jesus and walking away, never to be restored ever again. In the pursuit of Judas and taking the silver, right, feeling really, really bad. And what does Judas do? Judas, with his silver, feels very sorry for what he did. But which direction does he take the silver? This is very important. He walks back to the temple and back to the high priest and back to the religious system and says, I'm so sorry. When in fact, he should have taken the bag and turned toward Jesus and hit his knees and say, I am so sorry. But he didn't. That's the difference between looking religious and be a true follower of Jesus. Because we see a Roman centurion down on his knees, weeping and saying, that must be the Messiah. Sure, he felt sorry. Sure, he was religious, but he walked toward moralism and would like to cover his shame and his guilt with some kind of edifice that was made by man rather than walking toward Jesus who was really able to give him life. That is what could be happening in your hearts. So the warning comes for people like you because there really are empty seats next to you. And there is a time when in your heart you truly walk away from Jesus for good. And when you do that, you've walked away from Jesus. 
And the scriptures say you cannot be restored. This is the most terrifying warning in scripture. And there's no way to undo it other than to say it as it is. That you are crucifying Jesus all over again when you walk away from Jesus because you have claimed that Jesus is both powerless and he is insignificant. That's what Judas did. He knew Jesus, but he says, Jesus can't help me here. So he in his heart deemed Jesus powerless and insignificant. And this is a real thing. And so we need to wake up church and we need to wake up and we need to listen that these are real lives. These are real people. These are real situations. The writer of Hebrews is not just creating a straw man. He's encouraging us as believers to continue to pursue those who are walking away from the Lord and saying, plead to them. Do not let your heart be hardened, but truly come back, repent toward Jesus. So is he, is, are these people, all right? So what, what do you do with, with you and I? And, oh, I'm late. Um, what do you do with you and I? Struggle with sin. Are we talking about an apostate who just struggles with sin or are we talking about a prodigal? And that's the question I wrestled with all week long. Are we talking about struggling with sin and having seasons of doubt and shame? Or are we talking like, what is the difference between that season and this falling away? Well, apostate, truly in your heart, is walking away from Jesus and calling him powerless, right? And, 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 and those types of things. But there are, there's times when we're just idiots. And there was no better way to put it. So I just typed it. We are idiots, right? Because we all have in our hearts the love for self, right? And love for self-gratification. And we're always walking towards sin. This is not a sin issue. This is not whether you are a holy Christian or a good Christian or, or those types of things. It is truly repent and believe. Repent and believe. But it's always repenting. Dang it, sorry, middle schoolers, I shouldn't say that. Sorry, and then looking and saying, will you forgive me? And just turning back from those things and turning toward the Lord over and over and over. That is the muscle, bodybuilders, that is the muscle of Christianity. Repent and believe. I'm so very sorry, will you forgive me? And there you will have a Jesus who is wide open and ready to receive you. There is a big difference between being a prodigal, being an idiot, because we all are, and being apostate. Being a prodigal, that's just being human sometimes. The apostle Paul, he was bad. So was Abraham, and so was Moses, right? And so was David. These were really, this, this is not a sin issue. It's a muscle, it's a gospel issue. Do you repent from those things and look toward Jesus? The reason it's so powerful is because we have hope for prodigals. We have hope for those who are stuck in sin, right? There's a difference between being stuck in sin and forsaking Jesus altogether. So different. Entire, in, in fact, our entire like ministry structure for our community group in Elizabethton is to pursue those who have, who have just started to ignore or become numb to Jesus. And so we are to pursue them like crazy. That's what we want to do. 
because people are just kind of shrugging at Jesus. There's a difference between a shrug and a full-on saying, you are powerless, Jesus. And so what do we do real quick? The last warning is that we are to hold fast to this anchor. There's an anchor in our life. His name is Jesus. Uh, Let me just breeze through this. I'll just read it and do no teaching. Uh, Verse 9 says, Though we speak of this way, yet in your case, beloved, remember, you're in the room. You're safe. You're safe. This is the the only time he uses this word. You're you're hearing this voice, beloved. Feel, Feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown in the name of serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness. This is the last warning. For you to show earnestness and to have full assurance, and here's the phrase, of hope until the end. So that you may not be sluggish. There's that same word again, that dull word. So you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those through faith and patient inheritance of the promises. Then he goes on to talk about how Abraham was patient and he waited. And then verse 18. So you have fled for a refuge. Might have a strong encouragement to, here's that phrase one more time, to hold fast to the hope that was set before us. You have this as a sure and a steady anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtains. This is Jesus. So the warning is for you to hold on to Jesus. Repent, believe, but hold on to Jesus who is your true and your steady anchor. He is the one that, has, that is your forerunner. This is our job. This is our job is to hold on to Jesus until the very, very end. The gospel is pretty easy. The gospel is that the punishment that you deserve was so bad that Jesus had to die for you. The gospel is relatively simple in that he was so loving that he was glad to die for you for the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross. In the cross, we see the severity of our sin. And we see with the blood and the tears and the cries and the prayers, we actually see what awaits us in judgment because all wrath and all judgment was poured out on Jesus. The gospel message is that your heart is fully and fatally flawed, spiritually dead. But the good news of the gospel is all of the ill will in our heart fell on Jesus that day and killed Jesus but he didn't remain dead Easter morning he rose to conquer both sin and death and so all you have to do is believe I am so messed up and I deserve all that all the messed up stuff deserves and yet in looking at Jesus I see that he has taken my place When you come this strong and this heavy, it's easy for believers in the room to kind of get a little like skittish. If you believe in that gospel, you are assured and you are safe. The gospel tells us that we are to cling to Jesus forever and all of our days because Jesus is our forerunner. The ideal here is not perfection. It's simply a new direction to move on toward maturity 
Warning number one, you should be teachers by now. Warning two, apostasy is real. Don't be an apostate. Warning number three, cling to Jesus and to the very, very end. Do not lose heart. Never give up. Go on and on and on. Let me pray for us. Jesus, as we walk into um, the section where we actually see your judgment, help us not to move too quickly from these words. Do you need to claim Jesus this morning? you've been reaching out to religious structures and yet in your heart this morning you found your heart truly pricked and exposed and eager to cling to Jesus we would encourage you to do that this morning and understanding your sin and yet understanding Jesus's great sacrifice for you we simply believe in that message Believer, are you clinging to Jesus in this muscle of repentance and belief? Tenured Christian, should you be a teacher by now? Again, not in shame, but as a place of grace to awaken our heart and to see that we have so much to give. that our life is a life exposed and given and truly poured out like a drink offering, literally poured out for others. I wonder if there's some who would have conviction in our heart that they've been stuck in neutral and satisfied with simply just the elementary things of life. I pray now that God, you are calling people to step up and to press on toward maturity. So Redstone, we take communion every week. And we do that because it's, it's a picture for us, but it's also a moment where we can all respond. In a typical church, you know that there's an altar call where maybe one person or two people or no one responds. Well, we think that that is unfortunate because God is always, remember, this, this muscle of repent and believe. We, we have it, all of us need to respond to Jesus in some way. So in a real way, we all respond. We would encourage you this morning, if you are a believer in Jesus, for you to come and partake of the table. The night that Jesus was betrayed, right before he died, he took a piece of bread, he took it and he broke it. And he says, this is my body given for you. And in this breaking, he now signifies to the entire world that something must happen to me. As you see me now, something must happen. And in that great demonstration, he was signifying that his death was imminent and that death had to happen for their sake. But then the image gets more graphic. He takes a chalice of wine. Um, it, was a chal- it wasn't a picture like it was a chalice because they were about to drink. And it was wine, we've got grape juice here, but he, this was a symbol. I mean, a symbol of celebration and, and gaiety and festival and just relationships. And yet he takes this wine 
And he says, this is the blood of the new covenant for the forgiveness of your sins. And it's going to be poured out for you. And so in this breaking and in this pouring, Jesus says, literally, I'm going to be spent, totally spent for your sake. Now, if that makes you so very humble and so very glad that he would do that for you, this table is open for you this morning. We have men around the room. Um, We've got uh, two in the back, one in the corner, one up here, and they're gonna be serving communion for you. Um, This is uh, a pretty strong message, so I don't know how you want to respond, um, but just know that this is a table, right, for prodigals, for idiots, for sinners, Sinners who are called saints, who are called redeemed, who are called glorious and called righteous. We don't deserve it. God graciously gives it to you. So go ahead and stand. Uh, Will and Jessica, they have this song that they're gonna sing over you. Um, the, the lyrics are in your bulletin if you wanna follow along, uh, but they are, it's intended to be sung as you, as you take communion. So just have this, it's almost like a, a song, you know, offering over you just to have them sing over you just these precious words. But come and take um, whenever you feel it.